day, worship gives us life in that it tells us very clearly that God is not simply with us at the dark end of life, but God is with us in any of the dark areas of our life. He has not abandoned us, that he is with us. Now we're good to go. Okay, thank you. Just stall long enough and then I'll, I'll get... Okay. Uh, Charles Spurgeon says about this psalm, the position of this psalm is worthy of notice. It follows the 22nd, which is peculiarly the psalm of the cross, There are no green pastures, no still waters on that side of Psalm 22. It is only after we have read, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me, that we come to the Lord is my shepherd. What Charles Spurgeon is saying is we look last week at Psalm 22, which verse 1 begins famously, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then the psalmist goes on to describe looking at his body and it's wasting away and his mouth is is as dry as dust and that they've pierced his hands and feet. And what was described was an execution. It was 2,000 years before the crucifixion. It was describing the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And what we learned last week is that Jesus Christ, for a season on the cross, was forsaken, utterly forsaken and abandoned and alone in this world from his Father, God. But the wonderful result of Psalm 22 is Psalm 23, where a sheep, looking at God as a shepherd, can say, you will never leave me or forsake me. You are always with me, even in the valley of darkness. Even in the presence when I'm surrounded by enemies. You will never forsake me. And that's a result of only one one little lamb. One lamb of God being forsaken for a season. Such that all those who are God's sheep will never, ever, ever be alone despite the dark circumstances where we may ponder or doubt His presence, or we may feel very, very threatened, we wonder, God, where are you? But Psalm 23, like a song in the night, says, you are still my shepherd and you are still on watch, though surrounded by enemies. This morning I want to show you two things. The psalmist portrays the Lord as first the shepherd, and secondly, he portrays the Lord as a table host in verse 5. But in verses 1 through 4, he portrays him as a shepherd. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to imagine verses 1 through 4 as one sheep telling another sheep through the fence about his shepherd. I want you to think of one sheep bragging to another sheep, the Lord, mine, my shepherd is the Lord, my. You could preach a whole sermon, and what comfort, just that two letters of M-Y, my, he's mine, if you're on that side of the fence. He's talking to another sheep, and perhaps there's someone here today that would say, I don't have that relationship or I don't have that confidence or I don't have that sense of intimacy that the Lord 
is my shepherd, that God is my shepherd. I've got a different shepherd. I've got life as my shepherd, or I'm trying, I'm a wild sheep as it was. I'm trying to protect myself and feed myself and manage myself. Maybe you're following, maybe you've got a hireling, you've got something that's driving you, a false gospel. It's my job that controls my life. It's a relationship that controls my life and has influenced me. Maybe you're looking to another person or to your own health or employment. But this little lambkin is boasting and he's bragging that the Lord is his shepherd. And I think I love this. This is one of the things that I love the most about God is that I'm not simply a sheep that's a member of the flock, a church. I'm not simply a sheep that's a member of the world of Christianity. I'm his sheep. He knows me by name. He daily attends to me. I'm not just one of many. I'm not overlooked. He's not with the better saints and and just leaving little old mediocre me alone. No, no. He gives each of you of his sheep. He puts... He loves you each like you're his number one child. The scriptures mind-blowingly say that God loves each believer in Jesus Christ that he now calls son or daughter. He loves each one of you to the same degree that he loves his own son, firstborn Jesus Christ. No more, no less. Mind-blowing. This sheep, in verse uh, 1 says, I shall not want. Now, he's found something that we need to discover or rediscover. Culturally, not simply generationally, but certainly culturally, we're a generation and a culture that wants. We have this great wantingness, these cravings, these desires. My life will be so much better if I can just have this. Or, I don't want this in my life. I don't want this ill health. I don't want this financial threat. I don't want this relational difficulty in my life. I want this. This sheep has said, I no longer want. My wantingness is cured. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians says this. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. We don't know what he's pleading about. It's called a a thorn in his side, a messenger of Satan. It could be a physical illness. It could be financial want, a financial change or scenarios. It could be a relational challenge. It could be a strong temptation. It could be bondage to a particular sin. I just can't stop. I can't stop. But if you have a red letter Bible and you look this up, the words that I've underlined will appear in red because these are perceived by the Apostle Paul to be the very word, counsel, direction of his shepherd to him as a sheep. His Lord personally and specifically directly answers his want. 
And he says, my grace is sufficient. My grace is really all you should want. My grace will meet your every need. My grace is enough. You can now put your wantings aside. And so what does Paul do? But like the sheep here in verse 1, he says, that's what I'm going to boast. That's going to be my boast, is that God really, my God, my shepherd, whatever my lot is right now in life, it's enough. My shepherd knows. John Newton, who wrote the famous hymn, Amazing Grace, his favorite phrase was not Amazing Grace. His favorite phrase, phrase was sufficient grace. John Newton taught in both his hymns that he wrote and the sermons that he preached and the famously the pastoral letters that he wrote to others over and over and over again. He said there's nothing in your life that is needful that God has held back. And there's nothing in your life that is needful that He has not but given. In other words, everything... Place yourself right now and think about what you want right now. Is God denying you? Is God holding back? Is God spoiling your day? Is God ruining your life? Or is He saying, little lamb can trust me to shepherd. You really don't. You think you do, but you don't need that at this time. And everything that I'm sending into your life, even trial-filled paths and rocky roads that we're going through together, that's needful. If we could grasp that, we'd be able to understand and handle pain a lot better. To understand, I do have a Lord who meets my want. His grace is sufficient. Well, how does he do that? Sinclair Ferguson said, grace is not a thing. This sufficient grace, it's not a substance that can be measured or a commodity to be distributed. It is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. In essence, it is Jesus himself. The Lord is this, the the Lord Jesus Christ is the shepherd of Psalm 23. Jesus is a shepherd. The Lord over our life, the God over our life is a shepherd. That is a very intimate, and I might say non-flattering to the world, metaphor that God uses here. Shepherds Shepherds had a very burdensome and responsible and messy daily job. They couldn't take a vacation. Sheep are always getting lost. Sheep are always getting into trouble. They don't have claws or teeth that they can fend for themselves. They need protecting. They need leading to water. Look at the the criteria. He makes me lie down in green pastures. So not only does he have to find a pasture for them to feed and take substance from, but he's got to make them lie down. I'm not a shepherd. I didn't grow up around sheep. I've had some exposure to sheep and shepherds, but I understand that making them lie down can be quite a task. They can't sleep unless they feel completely safe, and if they're not fed properly, they can't sleep. 
but when they're well fed, when they have a sense of confidence and assurance that they're protected, then they can rest. That's part of the shepherd's job, and it's every day. He, it says here that he, he leads them beside still water. He's got to find water for them and lead them away from polluted sources and lead them beside still water, lest they fall in. This, this is saying that Jesus is willing to come into the, not only the messiness of my life, to care for me like a shepherd, but daily. No vacation. It never stops. Look for a moment, it says in verse 3, that He restores my soul. Verse 3, restores my soul. The word there for restore means to give energy to, bring new life, or rebuild. It's not starting from scratch, but it's coming to a sheep that needs daily revitalizing, just such as we are. It's used in Isaiah 58 where it says, And the Lord will guide you continually, satisfy your desires in scorched places, and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. I, I, I enjoyed reading again the book by Philip Keller, not Tim Keller, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. And Philip Keller is a shepherd. And he looks at Psalm 23, and as he wrote about this, he said, sheep are in almost constant need of restoration. And he says, sheep get cast down. He said, every day a shepherd will get up early in the morning and he'll go and he'll name the sheep and he'll see who he's missing or how many. And for the one that is missing, he'll go in search of. And he says, often enough, nine out of ten times, it's a cast down sheep. A sheep that has found a hollow or a swell and has lain down and prior to getting back on its feet has rolled over. It's a comfortable spot. And the sheep is just enjoying life. And then he just rolls over. And now, because he's top-heavy, he's on his back. And his legs just flail away and he begins to expend all of his strength and his energy just flailing away, flailing away, flailing away, and he's on his back. But there is, he's just meat on a platter to a predator because he cannot get back on his feet unless the shepherd finds him. This is the shepherd of Luke 15. The shepherd that counts and he says out of a hundred, he's got 99 who doesn't say there's that one stubborn sheep that's sinning again. He's left the flock. He's left the way. He's left the path. He's gone to do his own thing again. Let him rot. I'm not going to leave my comfort of watching the obedient ones to go after the disobedient one. The one that's wandered away and, and in pursuit of comfort got, trouble, got in trouble again. That's not our shepherd. If 
by grace, our shepherd says, I know I'm in this forever. I'm in this, I love every one of my sheep. And not even their sin, not even their willful rebellion will stop me from ever seeking to restore them. Restore them. So the shepherd will find the sheep and he will turn the sheep over to his feet, says Philip Keller. He will straddle the sheep and he will pick it back up. And according to how long the sheep has been there, he'll begin to massage the blood back into each of those limbs. And then he'll let the sheep walk and often as not, it'll stumble and even fall again and he'll pick it up again. And then they will begin to walk down the correct path again to rejoin the flock. And we see that. We see that He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. The Bible lists that, particularly the Proverbs, that there are two paths in all of life. There's the right way. There's the wrong way. There's the Lord's way. And then there's my selfish way proverbs chapter 4 says ponder the path of your feet then all your ways will be sure do not swerve to the right or to the left turn your foot away from evil the goal of all shepherds including the shepherds of two rivers is to lead the sheep in the right path. At the end of the service, I will give a benediction. And I always give the same benediction, except on rare occasion. I want you to know three things. I want you to know the love of God is your Father, that you're adopted, your sonship. And then the second thing that I want that I bless you with in the benediction from God, is that your walk with Jesus will be sweet. And then the third thing is, is that you would be reminded of these things over and over again and in the very presence of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. But your walk with Jesus is Jesus the shepherd daily leading you on the path of righteousness. And it's not, this shepherd is not leading you down a path where he's saying, okay, obey this rule, here's another regulation, here's another commandment. The walk is sweet because we're with the shepherd. We sense his nearness. We sense his presence. We don't begin to think about our walk with Jesus. It's called discipleship, technically. But we don't begin to think about our becoming a more and more mature believer because of our walk with Jesus, because of obedience to rules, we begin to think about it more like a people who are in love. I cease to think about it being an order from Jesus to go and to do something. It becomes a response of love, just as with our own loved ones. It's like, wow, do you obey every one of the commands that your mate gives you or your significant other gives you? I don't even think in terms of him giving me orders. It's a pleasure to will and to do their lead. Are you walking with Jesus? Are you pondering and looking at your steps? 
What's the, where is the path leading? What does, what does it look like? Do you feel like it's a path that you're making every decision and every choice is just your own? Are you being your own shepherd? Or is it walking with Jesus where you're beginning to say, I'm a sheep. He's leading. He is my guide. He's my restorer. He's my provider. And I can trust Him. If you are trusting Him, then once again, when the way gets very dark, when we go, when that path leads through the valley or through trial, we can still trust Him. Because in the dark, we know that though we don't see the shepherd's face, He's there watching. Oh, can I speak to just a word to the men? All right, listen. Um, <clears throat> don't excuse Psalm 23 and the Lord as a shepherd by thinking that whoever the shepherd is, that he's kind of a, a, a white robe, flowing beard, tea drinking, Volkswagen driving, uh, kind of shepherd, very pastoral. All right, none of those things are wrong. That's, that's, that's fine. Don't think about this shepherd as just kind of just kind of walking a little bit above air and he's so pastoral. Everything's so green and the birds and there's the stream. Oh, my dear sheep, come on over here. I've seen shepherds. When we lived in Utah, on occasion, I would go up into the Uinta Mountains and the Uintas and they would have roads blocked off in the mountains because the flocks of sheep, they were moving their flocks. And the men had rifles on their back. They had what looked to be like machetes on their side. And they had bandoliers with ammunition. And they had radios in the middle of the mountains. These were not men to be messed with. These were fierce shepherds saying, be you an animal or be you a man, do not touch our sheep. So don't imagine our shepherd as being effeminate or light. He is a soldier, man. He is fierce. He's a man to be reckoned with. And he is your leader. He's a man's man, this shepherd. He is strong and he can lead you. Will we but submit and follow him? He's also a table host. Charles Spurgeon says that when a soldier is in the presence of his enemies, if he eats at all, he snatches a hasty meal. But observe, nothing is hurried. There is no confusion, no disturbance. The enemy is at the door, and yet God prepares a table. And the Christian sits down and eats as if everything were in perfect peace. Now, we don't know why the enemies are not able to disturb the individuals, the guests now, at the Lord's table. But what the visual is, is that there's a table that is set. So we've moved from the flock and the sheep and the shepherd now to a table host in his house, in his, in his personal area. 
who is inviting people in to a place of intimacy, his table. He's not simply entertaining guests and dignitaries. It's a family feast. It's a table of intimate bonding. Imagine the, the, the Last Supper or a family Passover meal. But it's during wartime. There is still an enemy. And the enemy is present. But he's on the perimeter. And we don't know if the enemy are, is, 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 are captives. So that they're kind of like, they're, that, that our table host says, look, I have taken captive all of your enemies. Eat in peace. Or whether the enemies are there and by the strength and the majesty of our host and his power, they are powerless. They are rendered completely helpless to interrupt the feast, to interrupt the conversation, to interrupt the fellowship. When's the last time you used two rivers in your compassion ministry and your compassion to others? When was the last time you used Psalm 23? If you haven't, let me give you a discipleship tool. Let me equip you now to not simply enjoy a walk with Jesus, but to also walk into other lives and to minister in a crisis. Psalm 23 is most often used in hospitals, at deathbeds, in prisons, in crisis, when the valley is very, very dark. Psalm 23 is wonderful because, again, it begins to restore us by reminding us of the very person of Jesus as our shepherd and his presence with us despite being surrounded by all of the heartache, by all of the enemies, by all the even threat to my very life. We come to this table and as we are we're literally escorted to this table by God's sheepdogs. He said, my goodness and my mercy. My goodness and my mercy. Mercy here being hesed. It's the Hebrew word for steadfast love. We don't quite have anything in English that would equal this. But you know when you, you get, if you're married, you know when you say the traditional vows at the front, you say, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, sickness and health. And we never think about the sickness, or we never think about the worse. We never think about the poor. Life occurs, and tragically, there may be divorce. But God says, my hesed love is that I love you even when you're worse. I love you even when you're poor. I love you even when you're sicker in the relationship. Hesed love says, by the strength of one person's love, the two shall be sustained. Even if I fail or I don't love the Lord as I ought, it doesn't stop His love for me. He's jealous after my love, but He will come after me. Like two sheepdogs, they drive us back to this time with the Lord and to our fellowship with Him. I want to encourage you, even as we prepare to come to this table, to realize that while the, 
the elders and the men are going to be holding forward the bread and the cup. The Lord, Jesus, is present at this table. And he is mysteriously present in the visual of the broken bread by his broken body and in the cup by his shed blood. But it's he is through the men. He is serving you. So whatever threat you have in your life right now, whatever you would label the enemies at, my anxiety, my depression, my financial worries, my my relational fears, my own struggle with temptation or addictions, whatever enemies that you have surrounding you, let his sheepdogs usher you to this table, even in the presence of those things, his goodness to you, his faithful love to you that never, never ends. Let them herd you here, and then standing before you is your table host. God Himself who is serving you. Not simply serving two rivers as a whole, but serving you by name. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we would be in Your house and in Your presence forever. Lord, when we leave here this morning, we're not leaving you, and you have promised in this psalm to never, ever leave us. You are always attending us as a shepherd, and you're always holding out to us a feast with you. And we want to take full advantage of all the comfort that that thought and truth bring to us so this morning feed us till we want no more feed us at the point of our greatest need feed us with Jesus a sense of his presence his daily care his goodness and his steadfast love and we ask this in Christ's name Amen.